What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com, and this week we're going to be interviewing Tom Cross to discuss his work on Hostiles. Now, if you haven't seen Hostiles yet, you got to go check this out. Tom, you know, he won his Oscar for Whiplash, and then, you know, he went on to do La La Land, which just did crazy well, and everyone was talking about it last year, and so there was a lot of upbeat, fast pacing, and then when you watch Hostiles... It's a distinctly different pacing style, and I found that so interesting. It was such a solid Western that I enjoyed. If you're into Westerns, definitely check this film out. And I have my fingers crossed that Tom uh, might get nominated for another Oscar, because he's really showing a broad range of talent here. So definitely check that out. Now, I couldn't have done this episode without Carly McKeating. Uh, she's been doing all this amazing cutting for us, so thank you so much for all this hard work. If it wasn't for her, we wouldn't be getting these out that fast. Now, if you want to get in touch with us, you can always get us at info at AOTG.com or, of course, on Twitter at AOTG Network. Now, with all that said, here's my interview with Tom Cross. I read somewhere that the film was shot chronologically. First, is that true? And how did that affect you as an editor then? It seems like an odd approach to shooting. You know, as far as I know, they did shoot most of it chronologically. And um, I think that's something that Scott worked out with his crew and his actors. And I think they worked it out that way because I think he felt it would be better for the actors in terms of going through this journey and the journeys that each character had to go through. So I think he thought it would be easier for the actors to track their own arcs. And in terms of how that was for me, it was kind of really helpful and great. It was, I guess, an added benefit. You know, when you often when you get dailies every day when they're shooting, piles of film just kind of drop in your lap. And, you know, in, in the micro, you really work on individual scenes. And if you're lucky, you get a couple scenes that link up together. And it really helps when you can kind of start connecting the dots. Because then it becomes more clear whether you uh, really need this entrance or this exit. You, you really start to see where some of the inconsistencies are, or you see the confirmation that characters and their emotions are tracking. And so in the beginning, it's very normal to just get isolated scenes, and you cut them, and they have a beginning, middle, and an end, and you put them on the shelf, and eventually you start showing them, them together. But I think the added bonus here was that because they were shooting mostly chronologically, I could really start joining the blocks together in a very linear fashion, which I think just, it's very illuminating because you can more quickly see whether things are tracking the way they should be tracking. Well, I guess talking about tracking and in characters' emotions, Christian Bale and Rosamund Pike's characters have these very interesting arcs through the film because Christian Bale starts off with an extreme hate for the natives and Rosamund Pike starts off with a true fear based on her experience with the natives and we have to watch them transition into people who care about the natives and stand up for them and see them as as equals so I'm wondering how did you work with Scott to make sure that these arcs revealed themselves naturally and were believable under the circumstances? Well first of all I should say that Scott's script really outlined those arcs pretty pretty well. I mean, it was it was very clear in the script in terms of what we had to do in the editing room. We really 
had to think carefully about how we introduced our characters and think about what the point of view was of the film in the beginning. And so filmmakers have certain things in their toolbox to help the audience get into the shoes of the protagonists. And uh, one of those things in the toolbox is the close-up. And that's probably one of the most trusted tools that you have in terms of letting the audience in on emotion and letting the audience identify with someone. So we really thought carefully about how to use those close-ups. So in the beginning, Scott really wanted to present the audience with Captain Blocker's worldview. He really wanted to have the audience see the world through Captain Blocker and through um, Rosalie. And what that meant was Scott wanted to minimize a lot of the close-ups of the Native American characters toward the beginning of the film. As I mentioned, that's often a tool that you can use to really get the audience invested in a character, to really empathize with the character. Well, he really made the decision to hold back on a lot of details and and close-ups of Yellowhawk and his family in the beginning. So, you know, in that way, we're kind of robbing the audience of other characters they could latch on to. But Scott's strategy with that was to get you invested in Rosalie's character and Captain Blocker's character, see the world through their eyes, and then slowly have the other characters emerge as we go on this journey. And, you know, there's some very specific times that we did have some close-ups early on, but they were for different effects. You know, one close-up was uh, one of the attacking Comanche with, he has this really shocking kind of face paint on his Mm -hmm. face. The red with the fingers pulled through them. Exactly. And, you know, during the opening uh, attack and stalking in the, in the forest and the brambles, that's something where Scott said, okay, we can let's show the face because that is something that's going to be very terrifying. And that worked perfectly within the scene and within the moment. But, you know, when Wesley Quaid, Rosamund Pike's husband, when he first sees the Comanche approaching, I mean, we really tried to hold off on showing those characters. We really kept them at a distance with the exception of a couple quick shots for punctuation uh, when they're kind of charging. But that was Scott's strategy. And basically his feeling was if we keep some of the information away from the audience in the beginning, we can help build Captain Blocker's ignorance, which then will tee up his kind of emotional destination by the end. What's interesting about that is once they discover pike's character and they start traveling as a group they're attacked again by the apache and at the end of it yellow hawk sort of stands up to captain blocker and is facing him direct on sort of requesting that the shackles be removed so that they could work together i noticed that there's this chaotic sort of battle scene where a lot of the soldiers die and then all of a sudden we go to this two shot and we just sit on the two shot for the entire back and forth. So I was, I was wondering what was the discussion around that? What was the, the reasoning behind sitting in that two shot? You know, Scott and I talked a lot about this. I think that great filmmaking is often done in contrast. You know, I think that Scott really was interested in creating peaks and valleys. And his feeling was that the peaks would enhance the valleys and vice versa. So in general, he really wanted to make a psychological movie first and kind of a Western second. So with that in mind, he encouraged me to have a very measured and kind of patient pace through the use of long dissolves and these very wide landscapes. And his hope was that that would not only show 
the long distances traveled by our characters, but also suggests the distances that these characters traveled emotionally in terms of their understanding and empathy by the end. But at the same time, he really wanted these airy landscapes and these long sort of meditations on these landscapes. He really wanted that to be punctuated by very uh, savage and brutal violence. And so part of Scott's strategy was to have the scenes of violence be kind of bookended on either side. And, and that's something that is pretty traditional in that one thing you can do when you're approaching some type of violent scene or an action scene or a scene that's cut kind of quickly, I mean, you can enhance that by holding back on the scene leading up to it. And uh, you can see that in the scene that you mentioned, the attack on, you know, by the Apaches and uh, where the French young soldier Desjardins is, uh, is killed. And so similarly, you know, afterward, Scott was very conscious about wanting to calibrate and bring bring the energy to a different place after the attack. So that was that was one where he really wanted to favor that, that wide shot and that long shot that just kind of pushes in on the two of them. And uh, that's something that I think Scott is really great at doing, is keeping that sort of thing in mind cinematically. What was fascinating about it is it actually reminded me of, in Canada, there was the Oka crisis in, in Quebec. Okay. And it was the natives standing off against the government there's a very famous shot from it of a soldier face to face with a, a native and they're just staring at each other. But it was a very uh, similar stance where the two are standing uh, facing one another. That's that's interesting. Maybe if I saw the photo, I would recognize it. I know that, you know, Scott and Christian were very inspired by certain things they had seen in documentaries and certain things they had encountered in, in researching the project, real people that they would speak with while doing their research. I know that Scott is a big fan of Western films like Searchers, and he's a big fan of John Ford, but, you know, a big reference for this film was uh, Barbara Coppola's documentary, Harlan County, USA. And I know that Christian doesn't watch a lot of movies, narrative movies, he watches a lot of documentaries and he watches people. And I think that those references were as much an inspiration for the film as traditional Western films. Now, I noticed that compared to your previous work, such as La La Land or Whiplash, the pacing is distinctly different. Right. Well, it's, it's like a Western. It's much, it lingers more and it has moments that build tension. And I'm wondering, was this a conscious decision to sort of expand your repertoire or try and prevent yourself from being locked in to just doing fast cutting from an editing standpoint or as, a, as an editor? Do you choose jobs like that? Like, I want to make sure that people don't just see me as uh, someone who cuts fast. I want to see people to see me as a storyteller or something like that. Yeah, I think that's, for me, that's an added consequence. It's not really why I chose to work on this project. And so in, in a way, I didn't think of it that way. I did note that it would be fun to go from one old Hollywood genre, the musical, to another old Hollywood genre, the Western. I did, I did make note of that. I mean, I'm really happy I got the opportunity to do both. But for me, it was really the opportunity to work with Scott Cooper. I was an assistant editor and did some cutting on um, his first film, Crazy Heart. That's when we met and we kept in touch and I thought he was a great filmmaker. And, you know, right around the time he started this project, we kind of were able to connect 
um, the stars aligned so that our schedules connected. And I was really happy to get back together with him. I felt very lucky. And so in terms of doing this different project, it really had to do with me wanting to uh, work with Scott again. The fact that it was Hostiles, that was kind of an added bonus. And in terms of the pace and how it's different, that has to do with the different filmmakers and how they wanted to tell their stories. And again, in terms of you know, this pace, this is a very slow burn Western. And as I mentioned before, Scott really wanted this one to be more of a psychological portrait rather than a traditional Western. So because the movie takes place in 1892, you can't help but have some elements of a Western. But Scott really wanted us to be very careful about not leaning too heavily on certain tropes and cliches that you find in traditional Western films. And he really didn't want it to feel like swashbuckling action, you know, with virtuoso horse gags. He wanted those scenes to be about the violence instead. And probably the, the biggest thing that helped us push those things in that direction were the great performances. I mean, he really wanted to have those action violence scenes be more emotional rather than presentational, which is why we linger so much on Rosamund Pike's face in the beginning. And I have to say, we were very lucky to have the actors we have because they're so good at what they do, you can hold on their faces and you can get so much emotion just by looking in the eyes. That's, I think, not always the case with all actors in all movies. But that's, you know, that's Scott. The work that he does with his actors creates these characters that feel very real. Or at least they feel real to me when I get them in the editing room. Now, one of the things I noticed in the film was it seems that, and you've kind of talked about it a bit about this, but the film plays a lot from the perspective of Christian Bale. But it also, up until we meet Christian Bale, it's almost as if it, it's coming from Rosamund Pike's perspective. And then there's sort of like a small in- moment where you see a native dragged away, and that's from the perspective of his family and the soldier on the horse. So I'm wondering, because there is a constant sort of back and forth between Christian Bale and Rosamund Pikes, like certain scenes were from her perspective where, you know, she was in the tent and she heard the gunshot and all of a sudden we're experiencing it from her angle or it'd be from Christian Bale's or someone else. How do you, as an editor, what would the discussions be in the editing room? Like, how did you choose which perspective to sort of focus on? And what were some of the changes that might've occurred to the film? Well, we talked a lot about point of view and who to stay on. I mean, it was always designed to really be Captain Blocker's story in a way. I think that's the story Scott felt like he could tell and wanted to tell. But I think it was important to kind of, for Scott, to show a couple different shades of ignorance at the beginning. And, you know, in the case of Rosalie's character, he wanted to show all the things that Rosalie went through and how that informed her ignorance and her fear. You know, uh, that opening scene is extremely important and it, and it really had to be as deeply violent, I think, for the story as, as it was. And it was hard to work on. I know it was hard for Scott to, to film, but that scene was very important to our story because what happens in that scene informs the rest of the film. You know, the audience, I think, becomes on guard in a certain sort of way because you see how how the violence, it doesn't end where you want it to end. You know, it takes everyone. And once you as an audience member are informed that way, then anything goes. 
it could happen to any one of those characters. And I, so from a cinematic point of view, it was in a very important one. I mean, similar to the opening of, you know, like Jaws or something like that, yeah. where once you see that there's a monster out there, you're always going to be looking over your shoulder and thinking, when is this going to come back? Um, and so it was really important to start the story with that, but kind of getting back to, I think, what you were originally asking about, I think that it was really uh, important to kind of check in with Blocker first and, and see how he viewed the Native Americans. You know, when he gets his mission, we're introduced to the character of Yellowhawk through his recollections, but also through this very cryptic newspaper illustration. And that was Scott's goal. His strategy was to really just give you tiny little pieces of the puzzle, but one that would paint a very specific grim picture and one that we could kind of add to as the story went on. So in a way, it was kind of starting with less information first and then adding as we went along so that as our characters learned information, the audience was getting it at the same time. In terms of shifting point of view, there was some minor scenes, but there were some Native American details early in the picture, very early. And Scott and I made the decision that it would be best for the story to minimize those scenes, basically minimize scenes where you might invest or empathize with Yellowhawk and his family, because we thought it was it would be too soon. And the feeling was, if the audience began immediately invested and empathized, then our thought was it would be harder for the audience to accept Captain Blocker's ignorance or accept Rosalie's fear because the audience would basically be ahead of of the movie because the audience would be privy and sympathetic to the Native Americans before the characters are. And in that way, the character arcs of Rosalie and Captain Blocker would seem uh, much slower than they, they are now. And, and, you know, of course, going into the movie, I think most audiences are going to already hopefully be sympathetic to the Native American characters anyways. And so uh, this was a way of kind of teeing up the narrative, you know, teeing up where Rosalie and Captain Blocker end up. That's very interesting. Well, I talked to Mark and Aaron, and I was like, I'm going to be interviewing Tom. Do you have any suggestions for questions? And uh, their question was, as an editor, how do you create a balance between family and editing because it's so demanding that's a, a great ongoing question that i think many editors myself included ask themselves over and over again uh i mean to me i love editing and i feel so lucky to be to get to do what i do with the people i'm working with that it almost doesn't seem like work it just seems like my life and again i feel very i have a lot of gratitude for it but i think my family my kids you know, and my wife, when I think of them, I think about how I need to spend time outside of the editing room. And the truth is, I think I'm a better storyteller by having a life. So we editors put in a lot of hours. That's kind of the nature of the beast. Not to say that you have to be successful just by putting in the hours. I'm not a believer in that. I don't like to think that you have to put in ridiculous hours in order to succeed. I don't really want to embrace that, you know, or encourage that. But I do have to acknowledge that it takes a certain amount of time to do what we do. You know, what we do in the editing room is very discovery-based. It's, it's very experimental-based. You know, you, you have to have a certain amount of time in order to 
experiment with things and try things. And because of that, you know, I think we spend a lot of time here, and I think that's kind of reality. However, I gain so much objectivity when I'm away from a scene or the film for a certain amount of time. So if I put, if I'm editing a scene and I put it up on the shelf for a while and I go away from it and I come back like a day later, I'm so much more fresh and objective and I can look at that scene and more quickly figure out how I want to improve it. You know, I think having a family is just a great reminder to have a life and hopefully enjoy it. But I will say that I think that uh, everyone has to be aware of what the job is. And I, with my family, I like to involve them. So, for example, for Scott Cooper's movie, that was going to be shot in Santa Fe and edited in New York. And I don't like to be away from my family. So we made the decision that this was the right film for, for me to do and that we would all go. So my whole family came to Santa Fe and then we all went to New York. We were together. And so I guess that's the, the one thing that I'll make note of is that I really try to, you know, in terms of taking the projects and working on the projects, it's a family discussion. Mm-hmm. Now, I have one last question that I like to ask everyone I interview, and that's, what's your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? Oh, boy. Let's see. I don't know if this is really a guilty pleasure, but I grew up with James Bond films. So it's a guilty pleasure just in that there's a lot of violence. There's sort of, (laughs) you know, there's mayhem and there's violence. I guess in a way that, you know, some of those films would be guilty pleasures. Well, maybe Moonraker or something like that. Maybe, yeah, there you go. That's a good one. I mean, I, I actually love all of, I love all Bond films. Maybe maybe Moonraker is a guilty pleasure. I've been, I've watched that probably uh, one too many times. <laughs> There's some really silly one-liners in, in that film. <laughs> so that, that I'd pick out as a great one. But I love, I mean, Casino Royale is great. And I think Daniel Craig's portrayal is really amazing. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to interview. Yeah, thanks for chatting. It was it was great. So that was my interview with Tom. I'd like to thank Tom for allowing me to interview him. I'd also like to thank Carly for editing this episode. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.